What man can remember his dreams? I can see that was probably very clever, but I don't seem to understand it. Welcome to Avant Bard, a podcast where two theater nerds explore the highest highs and the lowest lows of works inspired by that upstart crow himself, William Shakespeare. My name is Megan Charlow, and I use she-her pronouns. And my name is Matthew James Marquez, and I use he-him pronouns. Today, we are discussing the 1956 film Forbidden Planet. Sorry, the 1956 film Forbidden Planet! Thank you. It has an exclamation point, Megan. It does. Produced by MGM Studios and Nicholas Nafak, and directed by Fred M. Wilcox. Forbidden Planet had a screenplay by Cyril Hume, and it was based loosely on The Tempest by, of course, William Shakespeare. Forbidden Planet is a film taking place in outer space. Space, space. In the 23rd century, a starship piloted by Commander John J. Adams is responding to a lost ship on the planet Altair IV. Fun fact, this film was not intended to be an adaptation of The Tempest, but given the location of the film and the characters and what happens... They based it on The Tempest. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. They're liars. They're liars. Because I was like, this is not a good Tempest. And then I was like, Morbius and his daughter are the two people on the planet. Uh Uh-uh. This is The Tempest. So, Forbidden Planet is notable for several firsts in feature-length science fiction films. It is the first to show human interstellar travel on film, as well as to have the first robot supporting character in Robbie the Robot. And believe you me, we're gonna get into Robbie. The film was nominated for Best Visual Effects in the 29th Academy Awards, which lost to the Ten Commandments, meaning God beat up a robot. The As God intended. <laughs> he didn't want robots. He didn't create robots. The film was originally called Fatal Planet, but was changed to Forbidden Planet because I guess Fatal wasn't as mysterious. Because <laughs> if it was called Fatal Planet, you'd be like, that planet, it's deadly. But if it's called Forbidden Planet, you're like, hey... That planet's forbidden. Maybe we could, uh, go to it. Forbidden Planet was shot entirely indoors with matte paintings and sets. And if this film is anything, I think that this film looks good. Anyway, the film made around $2.7 million on a $2 million budget, which today would be like a $7 million profit, which isn't great. That's not great. Nobody, like, lost money on this film. In fact, for its economic footprint, it's like, well, this film didn't do very well, didn't do awful, it just exists. So, I'm going to tell you about The Tempest so that you can see how far this veers. Spoilers. Pretty far. The Tempest. There's this guy named Prospero. He's a magic man. He lives on an island with his daughter. And then he causes a shipwreck and basically all of the royalty from this kingdom are shipwrecked on the ship. And we have to assume a ton of people died, but not the royalty and not the drunkards. That's important to me because I played one. 
basically the whole thing is that one of the guys that Prospero doesn't care about falls in love with Prospero's daughter and she falls in love with him because it's the first man she's ever seen that's not her father. And then Prospero is like, I am the banished king. This was my trap. You fell into my trap. And then they're like, oh, no. And it's just like really a show for people to be able to be like, look, magic. I don't care about it. Well, a few things, Megan. Yeah. Would you believe I've never been in the Tempest? Yeah. Oh, okay. You don't like it that much. I like it well enough as a not story. I like... What does that mean? You like the spectacle of it? I like the spectacle. I like the speeches. I like the characters. And I don't like the plot because it kind of just ends. I mean, to be honest... I think I covered most of it in my lackluster synopsis. Yo, you did cover most of it. I just left out Ariel, who's a spirit who does magic, and Caliban, who is not in this film, thankfully, because that is a whole bucket of worms. So last time on Avant-Garde, we talked about horror films. Now we're talking about science fiction. Slight science fiction horror. But this is also something that we haven't delved into. Yeah. Where does Shakespeare come out in science fiction? Because science fiction is using future thought of technologies in order to showcase something about humanity. Basically what sci-fi boils down to. I will say right from the bat, I think that The Tempest is a great piece to use for science fiction. Yes, because it's about A brave new world. That has such people in it. Yeah, it is about that. It's about colonizing. (laughs) It's about magic, which, as this film shows, can easily just be technology. Yes. I don't know if there's any other Shakespeare thing that would work as well for science fiction. I can't, like, think of one. Yeah, one doesn't immediately come to mind. Like, you could... You could put anything. You can put anything into science fiction, but this is ripe for science fiction. Anyway, I just had that thought. Yeah. Okay, Megan, it's time once again for Marquez's acting corner. Corner, 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 corner. So Leslie Nielsen plays Commander John J. Adams, who is ostensibly our Ferdinand. You wouldn't think of it when he first shows up because Mm. he's the leader, but he turns out to be. So there we go. Leslie Nielsen is a very prolific actor who served in the Canadian Air Force throughout World War II. His roles in Forbidden Planet and The Poseidon Adventure put him on the map, but it's his comedic role in the spoof film Airplane! Exclamation point. that was him! Which led to roles in the Naked Gun series. Some things I know him from, to step back into Spooptober for a bit, is from Prom Night with Jamie Lee Curtis, a very boring film, and a segment from the anthology movie Creep Show, which he's amazing in. And I literally have no idea what Megan would know him from, except for the fact that she just said that she knew him from Airplane, except she didn't because she just realized it. I watched that prom night with you. Yeah, you didn't recognize Leslie Nielsen at all. Just because I don't recognize someone doesn't mean... I don't then recognize that it was them after I find out. I probably at one point said, oh, hey, Leslie Nielsen's in this. And you probably went, what? I think you did. And I nodded. Okay, moving on. 
Walter Pidgeon plays Dr. Edward Morbius, our Prospero, also a highly prolific actor at the time of the film, starring in many films that I don't know. I read the list and I went, mm-hmm. Oh, the 40s. Yep. He was nominated for two Best Actor Oscars for Mrs. Miniver and Madame Curie. He did not play Mrs. Miniver nor Madame Curie. Are you certain? Yes. Damn. But I, I don't know those films. Moving on, Anne Francis plays Altera, Alta, Daughter, or Miranda. They just call her a bunch of different things. She was known as a sex symbol for this film and for her main TV role on the show Honey West. I put her here because Honey West is apparently the first weekly TV show with a female lead, and she won both a Golden Globe and an Emmy for the title role, and I think that's sick. Good for her. She's dead now. And finally, we have Robbie the Robot playing Robbie the Robot. He's a prolific robot actor who's appeared in such works as Mork and Mindy, the original Adams Family TV show, Gremlins, the original Twilight Zone, and of course, Looney Tunes back in action. I remember, Megan, they go to Area 52. Man, I'm very offended by myself that I've only seen him in Adam's Family. Here's the thing, Megan. I love Robbie the Robot. I think he should be in more things. Just put Robbie in, like, anything. I think he retired. No, Megan, he got sold. Isn't that what retirement is? I love Robbie the Robot, and if loving Robbie Robot's a sin, then call me a sinner. Anyway, uh, Robbie was actually a very expensive film prop, costing $125,000 at the time, which is $1 million today. He was piloted by stuntman Frankie Darrow, who also voiced Lampwick, the kid who turns into a donkey in Disney's Pinocchio. He hails from Chicago. I just saw that was there, and I had to put it in. We do, too. Yeah. Robbie was voiced by Marvin Miller. The original Robbie prop was... No discussion on Marvin? Nope. The original Robbie prop was sold in 2017 for $5.7 million, making it the most expensive movie prop ever sold. You yourself can buy a remote-controlled full replica of Robbie the Robot for $32,000. Why haven't we done that? I don't know. The answer is because we're not rich. (laughs) Oh, yes, 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 yes. Anyway, uh, that's all I got, Megan. Acting corner done. Start the film. Start the film. It's the year 2200. I'm glad that they put it so far in the future. Whenever you watch things that are future from the 50s, it really runs the risk of being like, in the year 2018. A couple things here, Megan. Yeah. Hey, they're in a flying saucer. Yeah. That's wild. They have a UFO. Two. They talk about colonization like it's freaking nothing. Yeah, they're like, oh yeah, it's 2200, we've colonized a bunch of planets, and now we're going out towards Altair. Another thing, the little uniforms these guys have on, they got little bike reflectors on the shoulders, that makes me laugh. You gotta be safe in the dark of planets. Yep. My first connection to the Tempest, they have a bosun. There is, in fact, a bosun on the ship in the Tempest. There's also a cook. I know. We don't know that yet. Please, Megan, he's got a little chef's hat on. (laughs) He's the cook. He's got a little apron. So they're getting close to Altair and they're like, all right, we have to decelerate. Time to step in our science boxes for about 30 seconds. In real time. Not like 30 seconds, 
and we cut the film to show you that 30 seconds have passed. No, they just kind of like uh, walk into a thing and a special effect happens and then we wait a bit and then the special effect happens again and they're back and it was in real time and I hated it. My big question is they walk out and they're like, oh man, my neck, I'm sleepy and I have no idea what happened, but okay, it's science fiction. Uh, my note says, did they shower? But what does happen for sure is the ship is hotter. I don't think that matters, but they definitely make sure they make a comment on it. We also learned that this is a mission to search for the survivors of the Belepharon on Altair 4. Do you know Belepharon, Marquez? Is he the guy who rode Pegasus? Yes. He's the Greek hero who rode Pegasus and then was like, I deserve to be a god. Oh. And then he went, he flew up and Zeus was like, uh, no, no, and struck him down to earth by having a fly sting him. And I was like, an apt connection to a lost ship in space that went to colonize a planet. We learned through scanning that this planet has no civilization and no women. Also no pool parlors or beer. Oh, man. They also still believe in the Christian God, which I think is silly. They were like, ah, yes, our Christian God, the Lord, our savior created this planet. It was the 1950s, Megan. No, it's 2200. Megan, if they did not say God in this, they would be communists. Also, is this the oldest thing we've covered on the podcast? Ah, I think so. It has to be 1950. Anyway, back to the plot, as our Christian god intended. Even though there's no sign of civilization, they are being radar scanned, as we're told. And Captain J.J. Adams is like, okay, well, we'll pick it up. Hi, uh, this is Edward Morbius of the Bellerophon, and, uh, um... Megan, Dr. Edward Morbius. This, I'm sorry. And he says, get off my planet, or I will not be held responsible for whatever happens to you. Then the captain's just like, uh, we're here to help. And he goes, nope, don't need any. Thanks, bye. No solicitors. <laughs> I'm on the do not call list, please. And he's just like, please just give us the landing coordinates. And Morbius goes, all right, here they are. Make sure you get them right. But you shouldn't use them. Goodbye. And then JJ gets so mad, he hangs up on Morbius and then continues to land on the planet. They do not crash land. There is no storm. There is no tempest, guys. All right, end of episode. Have a good day. <laughs> what do we have instead of a storm? A dust cloud. Created by? Ravi in a car. I was like, oh my gosh, it's Calibot. It's not, it's Ariel. It's A-robot-deal. It's Ravi the robot. Megan? Yeah. A-I-real. A-I-real. This is Robbie. He's a robot. He's got like a little brain that's like all a bunch of blinking lights. He's got like two circular antenna, one that is sideways and goes like forward and back and the one that's jutting up and it goes left and right. And he's got like two little blinky things for eyes. I love him. He's my best friend. He speaks many languages, he says, but English will do. A hundred and eighty-eight languages. Oh, okay, well, first off, Megan, I have to check how many languages does C-3PO speak. <gasps> yeah, find out who's the superior linguist bot. I believe it's uh, C-3PO. Probably because they have other languages in the galaxy. C-3PO speaks over seven million plus forms of communication. Wow, he's way more accessible. 
Anyway, Robbie's great though. Yeah. What does what does Robbie have that C3PO doesn't have? A bulkier frame. Jokes. Oh. This robot's got jokes. He Okay, so here's the thing. As Ariel does in the Tempest, Robbie says, "Okay, I'm going to bring you to my master's home." But here's the difference. Uh, Ariel doesn't say that to them, and he, in fact, tricks them and chases them. Well, no, yes, that is different, but here's <laughs> the real difference. So Morbius says, I want nothing to do with these people. They're just going to die. But then he brings them to his house. Why? He could have just let them die. Yeah, but, you know, he has to show off his stuff. So anyway, the only reason that the commanding officers are separated is because they choose to be separated from the ship and their crew, not because a tempest tosses them ashore and they're completely lost. A couple other things about Robbie. Going back to Robbie, you really pushed us away from Robbie. And I think that uh, you should be uh, deducted points. What more is there to say about Robbie in this moment? What? isn't there to say about Robbie. This scene is short, Marcus. No. Are you going to talk about how the fact he's like fit into a little car thing? Megan, Megan, I have three things about Robbie. Fine. One, they immediately question his gender. And Robbie's like, (laughs) no gender for me, thank you. I am a genderless being. Two, he's safety conscious. They get in his little robot car and he goes, seatbelts, please. He's safety conscious. Gold star, Robbie. And then three, yes, Megan. It's the fact that he sits in his little car despite his bulky frame and he is just a torso jutting up out of his little atomic car and I love him. Okay, Megan? Okay? Are you happy? I'm only happy because one of the crew members goes, this is no offense, but you're a robot, aren't you? (laughs) Like, What else is he? Super offensive, man. Can't just ask someone if they're a robot. So we go to Dr. Morbius's place. Three people are here. Adams, Jerry, and it's the ship's doctor, whose name I cannot recall. It's Adams, Farman, and Doc. Here's my gripe. Adams, first name, JJ. That's John J. Adams. Yes. So John slash JJ. Farman, Jerry. Oh. Fuck you. Two J's. Morbius welcomes them with this long speech that's very Shakespearean, but I'm gonna promise you, it's not from Shakespeare. He describes himself as a simple scholar, which is a lie. And he's like, don't be so impressed by Robbie. He's just a tool. Don't treat him with any sort of respect. Okay, Morbius is a piece of shit. Okay, well, yeah, he's Prospero. Yeah, he's a piece of shit like Prospero. At least we have established that. A few more things about Robbie, Megan. Going back to Robbie again, because I think we really only scratched the surface of Robbie. Well, yes, we've had one scene, Marquez. We're going to learn more about Robbie as the film continues. That's how stories work. So Robbie is the cook. Uh, So he can replicate things using just a little bit of molecules, and he could just do that. He also has a disintegrator beam. Not in him. It's in the house. He uses it. Yes. Anyone could probably use it, but Morbius showed it off with Robbie. Robbie can protect himself, of course, but as Morbius proves, Robbie follows Asimov's three laws of robotics, which I don't think was in films at the time. I don't know if it was in films, but it came out, it it existed in the 40s, so I mean, it was a thing. But it's just astounding to see it like used and explained. But not credited to Asimov. No, not at all. Just like, oh, he just, you know, can't hurt humans. 
I don't know, man. I just came up with it. The thing is, Robbie is very impressive, but Morbius treats him like a piece of shit. Morbius also treats his guests terribly because he's like, see, Robbie can't harm you. Robbie, shoot the captain. And I'm like, you could show them by saying, shoot me. You didn't need to have Robbie aim a gun at the captain's head. But as a true Prospero, Morbius likes to mess with people in really mean ways. Another thing is, is this is Chekhov's Robbie because this is going to show up in the climax of the film that Robbie can't shoot. Sentient beings is what they say. Yes. Morbius calls his science parlor magic, which again, connects him to Prospero because he could just say science because this is sci-fi, but he does specifically call it parlor magic. Maybe like a magician would do, like Prospero. Okay, I'm just going to run down what Morbius says about what happened to the rest of the people on the Belafron because it's not very interesting. It's not Um, interesting, but it's very important. Yes. All the other people succumbed to a strange force in the planet. Only Morbius and his wife were protected because they wanted to stay on the planet. The others died by being torn limb from limb. And the creature that did it is always close at hand. And invisible. Interesting. And his wife died of... Reasons. Something natural, he says, without giving us the information. So a few things here, Megan. I kind of like this for a few things. One, Morbius says he and his wife are immune because they like the planet and they wanted to stay on that planet, which I kind of dig. Yeah, because it makes it seem like, oh, so this is some sort of planet defense thing. And it's like, let's kill these colonizers. Oh, wait, these people just want to stay here? They're chill. We learn that this is false. Yeah. But it's a nice thought to have. Yeah. I like to think of the force that the planet makes as Caliban, or at least Sycorax slash Caliban as they stand in the Tempest. Native inhabitants of the island who were crueler than Prospero, but also rightfully belong on the planet. Yeah. We will later learn that this is false, but it's a nice thought to have. For now, we're interrupted because the hot daughter of Morbius walks in. Her name is Alta. She's wearing a very short dress. I said that the very sexy daughter enters. She was asked not to join lunch, but she smartly retorts that lunch is over. I already like her. She's excited because she gets to meet three men at once. Though she has gotten her father's mean nature because she says, the two end ones are unbelievable, which completely leaves out the doctor just as like, he's a go. And then the commander is gross to her about how she's hot. And he is like, ho, 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 we haven't had sex with women in so long. And I am disgusted. And I hate him. Here's the thing. Alt is ahead of her time. Because she's doing the thing that women are now teaching other women to do. Or when a guy like says a dirty joke to you, you go, why is that funny? Oh, can you explain it? And it's because she's never heard it before and literally doesn't get it. But it comes across as a woman just being like, no, I don't get it. Why is that funny to you? She's got Snow White powers. Yes, she animals like her. I just needed to mention that. Uh, So anyway, uh, the commander JJ is like, we have to report the mass fatalities yes from your ship and morbius is like well that's just gonna bring people here and i don't want people and it's gonna say that they'll go oh morbius is alive well he's gotta leave and go back to earth but 
despite this, Morbius is like, listen, I'll help you with whatever you need. And they reveal like, oh, our ship's broken. We would need this, this, and this. It's not that the ship is broken. It's that they have to take apart the ship to make a communications thing to be able to contact the United Planets organization, which is stupid. Why didn't they they have comms to them? Why didn't they bring one with them? But they're like, yeah, no, we're going to have to break apart our ship to be able to build a communication device. And that'll probably take us about 10 days. What? Anyway. Morbius is like, if it'll help you guys freaking leave, I'll have Robbie help you. Look at these graves. It is also important to say that there is a discussion a little earlier in the scene where Morbius is just like, I mean, yeah, Altered Super should go to Earth someday for her development, but, you know, it's on her when she wants to go. And Altus is just like, I've got friends here that are animals. Why would I want to go to Earth? Earth sounds dumb. And the crew is like, oh, but I want to have sex with a woman. And then Altus is kind of like hanging out with Jerry because Jerry's like, watch out, JJ. You know, when he's around women, raises eyebrows, and I don't know if they mean he's violent or just has a lot of sex or both. He's just a regular Captain Kirk. He's just like, I'm the reliable one. You should like me. And I'll just like, okay, that makes sense. That's logical. I'll like you, Jerry. And Captain JJ seems pretty upset. And Morbius is like, man, it's so nice to talk to people who are alive. Bye. So we find out the cook's name is Cookie. And he is Stefano slash Trinculo from The Tempest, a.k.a. The Drunkards. A couple things, Megan. Yeah. One, this seems so boring. Uh, Yeah, basically the gist is Robbie can carry heavy things. Alta comes closer to the ship than she's supposed to. People tend to prank Cookie, and Commander JJ is jealous of how much Alta and Jerry talk. The end. Uh, oh no, Megan. No? There is a whole bunch of sci-fi jargon that is just spewed out of the mouths of Yeah, that's why I skipped it, because it's not important to the gist. No, I need to state that it's bad, Megan. No, we can't just ignore it. This is like I reverse the polarity of the neutron flow type shit, where they're just saying things that sound science-y, and I hate it. This does not happen in The Tempest, but you know what does happen in The Tempest? Obviously, Trinculo goes up to Ariel and is like, can you make me 60 gallons of booze? And Ariel goes, a glug, glug, glug. That takes good. I'll make you 60 gallons. And then Cookie the Cook is like, wow, Robbie, I love you so much. You're my best friend. I hate hard sci-fi. I know. That's why I was trying to switch it over to Robbie to make you happier. No, I hate hard sci-fi. I hate anything that takes way too long to explain what the hell is going on. Do you have anything to add about Robbie before I skip? Megan, I'm happy that Cookie just hands over the little bit of booze that he has left and Robbie just like grabs it and goes glug 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 like you said. Which I want to say also, they're like, this is booze mixed with motor oil or something? Well, jet fuel? Like literally? Robbie says that there is trace amounts of jet fuel in the alcohol because he calls it spaceship gin, meaning like bathtub gin. Oh man. Cookie is making this stuff out of illegal chemicals in the ship. Like, he shouldn't have the stuff. They're part of a scientific military exploration team. Cookie's doing illegal things. Good. We cut to Lieutenant Jerry and Alta, and Jerry's just like, oh, hey, Alta, we should make out. You can't be healthy unless you make out. Didn't your father ever teach you that? You get stimulation to your body and your brain. Don't you want to be healthy, Alta? 
And then he kisses her and she's like, I don't feel anything. That's not stimulating. Try it again. And then he does it. And she's like, yeah, nothing. I feel nothing. And I like her and I hate him. And then Commander Asshole comes back. And Alt is like, why'd you tell Jerry to leave? And Commander Asshole is just like, because you're dressed like a trollop. Basically, he tells her, maybe you should be wearing different things so the men around here don't go wild. It's like, you're the commander. Command your men. And then she's like, but I designed my clothes. And I was like, one, 10 points for her. Two, negative 10 points. Why did she design them to look like human Earth clothes? I don't know, maybe. If she's never been to human Earth. Oh, but she has been to alien Earth. Well, okay. At the beginning, they said this planet was essentially Earth. I would also like to call out that he basically calls her subhuman. Yeah. Because he says, like, I expect a human to understand these things. And I'm like, she is human. Teach her. You piece of shit. But instead, she's like, hey, stop looking at me like that. I don't feel comfortable. I don't like it. And I hate him. I hate the commander. I hate Jerry. I hate JJ. I hate both of these men. Great. How cool would it be, though, if she wore something, like, super unconventional? Like, wouldn't that be awesome? Here's my space boots and my angular clothing. That would be cool. It's the 1950s, Megan. I know. She needs to be hot. And so Alta goes home and she's like, hey, dad, the commander was super mean to me and Jerry kissed me and I felt nothing. And Morbius is just like, what? Kissing? Don't worry, they're going to leave soon. I don't care anymore. She calls Ravi and Ravi's like, sorry, miss, I was giving myself an oil job. <laughs> Thanks, Ravi. Oh, never change. Megan, do you think it was dirty? Are you saying that him giving an oil job is dirty? No, Megan, he needs it. That's like saying I'm getting a drink of water. Marquez, I am certain that when people saw this in the 50s and he said oil job, they went, (laughs) Megan, I believe you when you say that the people at the time may have laughed, but the robots of the time, they didn't laugh. They said, yes, that is a very logical thing for you to do. You need to have your joints. Yeah, well, of well course, oiled. all the robots going to the movies in the 50s. The reason why Alta asked Robbie to come in is because she wants some covering clothing, something that covers her whole body. And Robbie's just like, do you want jewels with it? And she's just like, I do. I want these really expensive jewels. And Robbie's like, those will take a lot of time to do. How about these less expensive jewels? It'll take like a day. And she just goes like, thanks, Robbie. And Robbie is her gay best friend. One, the less expensive jewels are literally diamonds. Oh, yeah. She asked for star sapphires, but he says diamonds and emeralds instead. Two, so she just said she designed her clothes. Robbie designed Robbie them. designed the clothes. Robbie's just a tool, Megan. Three, there's a funny bit because he's like, oh, you want concealing clothes to be like weatherproof? And she says, no, I proof. And I went, wow, that hits me as a woman. And Robbie says, sleep well, miss. And she says, I don't really care now whether I do or not. Because she's getting a new dress. It's nighttime, and on the ship, there's a big breathing thing, and it's the camera, but we don't know what it is, and it goes up the steps, and then we find out their property was sabotaged, and the commander is like, wow, how could you not see the invisible monster? You guys don't get anything. You're terrible people that I'm punishing you. And then he's like, we're going to go see Morbius, because I think this was Morbius and or Robbie. You're not coming with Jerry because you're going to kiss Alta. Robbie has flowers. 
And then a monkey gets shot by Robbie. Hey, the monkey's okay. The monkey doesn't die. The monkey just runs away. The monkey shouldn't be in the house, Megan. Alta is naked in a pool. So I think the idea was that she actually is supposed to be naked. But when we see her, she's clearly not because of film laws. Yeah, she's wearing a flesh-toned slinky dress in the water. But the commander's just like, ah, Alta's naked. Cool. I'm going to walk right up to her and stare at her. And then Alta changes into her brand new dress and is like, here it is. And the commander's like, I don't understand why you're showing me this. I don't care. She's like, like, I don't think you like me. And he's like, no, you're beautiful always. And then she's like, why don't you just kiss me like everyone else then? Everyone else? How many other people are kissing you, Alta? She's been smooching with everyone. And then he's just like, well, science, science. And she goes, well, science, science, theory, science. I've read books. And then they kiss. And she likes the kiss. And it's okay because he respected her. No, it's bad. And then the tiger comes up that we were shown before was one of her friends, but it doesn't seem to recognize her. And the commander shoots it and it is vaporized. She's like, I don't know why it would attack me. And Commander JJ goes, well, obviously, because... And then we cut. I don't know what he was implying because she kissed a man. I don't know either, Megan. Because she suddenly went through puberty? I Why? I don't get it. It doesn't matter. JJ goes back to Morbius' house and he and the doctor are like, hey, has Morbius come out of his little office? And the doctor goes, no. And JJ goes, okay, let's just enter the room then. And then Morbius enters after they enter and says, ah, so you're thieves. We've reached time. It. We've reached the point. It's science time. I hate everything in this movie from this point to when... They leave this place. Oh, I was going to say from this point until it ends. Basically, because it's a lot of the movie. Okay. okay. Do you want me to, do yeah, you want me to yeah. cover it? I'm, Megan, I'm going to sit back. You're going to hear my voice go further back into the podcast. I'm leaning back and letting Megan do this. Okay. So it turns out this planet, Altair 4, was once owned by the Krell. They were a super advanced civilization. Like Marquez said, I'm now saying the Krell are like Sycorax because magic is technology here. And Sycorax was a powerful witch. They had visited Earth before the humans existed, which explains why there are literal Earth deer and tigers, which I had a problem with until this moment. And I was like, okay. But the Krell all perished in a single night, not by Prospero defeating Sycorax. That, that's not what happened. But they just vanished. And all of their things crumbled to the ground. Nothing survived except, hold on, here's an entire home and laboratory that was the Krells. Oh, look, here is a science machine that was the Krells. I'm going to show you 15 more science machines that the Krells invented. Here is a library that's digital of literally all of their knowledge, all of their stories, everything the Krell ever created. Here is a little science toy for children to create something from their imagination that was the Krells. And yeah, basically they take like 15 minutes, I'm going to say, for Morbius to just be like, look at my stuff. It's not his stuff, it's the Krell stuff. And then he's like, we're going to put on this kid's thing so I can show you how stupid all you humans are. And I'm bored. This is 
just bad and he's just being condescending to the people which is probably the most interesting bit of it because the rest of it is him saying science words and pointing at a silver object one thing you missed yeah morbius goes i can create a little hologram of my daughter with this device yeah that was the kid's device yeah both of the other two are like "Ooh, i want to try and morbius goes like no you're too stupid if you tried it you die But But if you were smart enough, you'd become even smarter. Which I love. I think that's super bad writing. But he also uh, shows them a bunch of like power that they have. Like the Kreller are like, wow, we got a lot of power generating. But for what? So we go back to the people. The bosun Mm -hmm. has created shield gates and they're testing them. And they seem to work. They should be good for keeping out this invisible monster. And Cookie wants out because he's going to look for, quote unquote, ingredients. It's Robbie. They're having a clandestine meeting. They let him out. The cook goes to Robbie. Robbie has had the time to make a whole bunch of booze. 60 gallons of bourbon. And Cookie, in return, offers Robbie lube. And at that point, Megan... Not you... just lube, he offers to lube him. <laughs> Megan? Yeah. This is the point where you can start making jokes. I think they're both jokes. No, this is the point. This is a continuation. He doesn't have to oil job himself anymore because Cookie will lube him for him. Robbie acts weird. He's like, oh, something's coming. And then a big old nothing sneaks through the fence. And I was like, it's a Krell. Is this Krellabon? Sikrellax? Sikrellax is pretty good. We see big invisible footprints in the ground. Then it goes up the steps again and the steps get bent. But they weren't bent last time. Yeah. So did it just gain a bunch of weight between last night and this time? I don't know, man. Who gives a shit? And then someone gets killed. Spoiler, it's Quinn who was left in charge of the camp while they were gone. It doesn't really matter. We're supposed to believe that Quinn is good at his job. So a uh, next scene, we see the commander, the doctor, and Morbius get back to Morbius's house. And the commander's like, Morbius, you should report your findings. And Morbius is like, man can't handle that knowledge. Man will put on the baby toy and I'll die. Morbius does say, though, that he will dispense Krell tech to Earth once he deems that Earth is worthy. Yeah, okay, so Morbius is what, gonna live forever? The thing is, Megan, I think that that's fine. No, I agree with that, but I just think it's silly because um, he's still just a human. Oh yeah, he's gonna die one day. What we found out was at the prime of their civilization, the Krell were hundreds of years beyond humanity in 2200. So, like... He'd have to live hundreds of years. Anyway, JJ gets called and they're like, uh, yeah, uh, guy's dead. He was ripped limb from limb. Sound familiar? And Morbius is like, <gasps> and we, then they wait. We cut back to the ship. They made a plaster of the footprint. Guess what? It's big. <gasps> it's like an impossible tree sloth. It's an evolutionary nightmare. And then they're like, Cookie, why are you drunk? And Cookie's like, <gasps> I'm not drunk. I was just drinking 60 gallons of whiskey with a hot robot. I think what's important is apparently they think that Robbie was killing people. Yes. So they're like, Robbie has an alibi. (laughs) Where were you on the night of Quinn's murder? I was giving alcohol to the cook. In exchange for lube. 
Alta looks great. I love this dress of hers. It's blue. It's got a hood. I want it, except I don't wear short dresses. But man, this is the best outfit of hers, which is the point where I want to have a little costume corner. And by costume corner, I just want to say all of the costumes were made by dudes, except for all of Alta's costumes were made by a woman. Cool. And I think that is why her outfits are attractive, hot, and good. Like, they still make sense. It's not too sexy. It's still just like, yeah, I mean, this is stuff I'm mostly comfortable in, but I want to look cute. So I'm glad that you mentioned that because at this point forward, Alta does not matter. Yeah. And then Morbius is just like, see, I told you that you guys were all going to be ripped limb from limb. Also, I had a premonition about it because I guess I have premonitions now. And at this point, I realize I have no idea who he's talking to because all of these men that aren't Morbius, look exactly the same. Yeah, they're just kind of white men that are... They have brown hair that's short, and they're white. Yeah, that's And they're all wearing the same uniform. The Uh, only one I know is the doctor, because he's an uggo. So JJ's just like, that sounded like an ultimatum from Morbius. I'm like, did it? It didn't. He said, I think you're all going to die if you stay on this planet. Not, I will kill you if you stay on this planet. But they're just like, I'm so suspicious. Let's make a bunch of fences and guns. And now my question is, they needed to take apart their ship to create a way to communicate with the United Planet. Military. Military. Yeah, so they just gave up on the communication thing, and now they're just like, well, we can't leave. Military. Stupid. It's the military. It's accurate. They prepare for another attack with big guns, and I gotta say, I love gunner seats, Megan. I love when a thing has a gunner seat. I like sci-fi where you sit behind like a big cannon and you can like turn the cannon left and you turn the cannon right. I like gunners. You know what I like? That they just hold the guns and don't move them at all. They don't have a trigger. There's no recoil. They're just holding a stick really still while little lights pew pew out of it. Yeah, so this thing attacks. It's invisible until it hits the energy field. At which point it turns into this like really cool animated bunch of sparks that was apparently animated by a Disney animator. Yeah, it looks like a weird Tron version of King Kong. It rules. It's like the coolest looking thing. And they're like, oh, it's invisible. Yeah, welcome to the film, guys. My one note for the scene was, I wish this movie was bad so I can enjoy this more. My one note was dumbass Jerry runs closer with his gun. Oh, because bullets are more effective when you get in close, Megan. Yeah, he know? dies, which is good because we didn't like Jerry because he forced himself on Alta. Alta has a bad dream. There's blood and fire and thunder and a roar and bellow and the men are hurt. That's the Tempest. The Tempest is the monster. I mean, yes. It's a bit late in the story, but okay. And she's like, Daddy, Daddy, you must protect the commander. I love him. And Morbius says, Uh, no. No. (laughs) It's my favorite because like in The Tempest, she's just like, but I love Ferdinand. And he's like, dang it. Okay. I'm going to get all my revenge, but Ferdinand will be safe. But Morbius is not Prospero at this moment. And he's just like, yeah, I am not risking myself and you for this weird ass Earth man. Meanwhile, that weird ass Earth man is grabbing the doctor And he's like, everyone else, if the monster comes back, get in the ship and leave. We're going to go investigate this, though. I think Morbius is at the center of all this. We're going to go. But he's also like, even if he's at the center of it, I'm going to make him and Alta leave the planet. 
I totally expected him to say, I'm going to take Alta and leave. But he specifically is like, and Morbius. We're saving both of them. Which, you know what? You're a little better than I thought before when you were being very sexist and terrible. But that just goes to show you, terrible sexist people can seem nice when they're not being sexist, but that doesn't change that fact. We're at the last scene, Megan. Yeah. There's no lights on at Morbius's house. I wonder why. It's almost like there's an active monster and they're hiding. And the doc and JJ go up and Robbie's there to greet them. And he's like, we're not admitting anyone. And they try to reason with Robbie, but then they put their hands on their blasters. And Robbie's like, nah, uh, 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 I'm going to disable your blaster. And they're like, well, you can't shoot us because you can't hurt living beings. And Robbie's like, that's right. And they're like, we're going to fisticuffs this robot. But then Alt is like, emergency cancellation Archimedes. And Robbie's like, oh, yeah, okay, ma'am. And he steps aside. Also, Commander and Doc are like, we're going to sneak in the lab and do that IQ boost slash death possibility from that child's toy. What Alta wants is for them to just go. She thinks that if they leave, the monster will leave her and Morbius alone. Well, because as far as she knows from stories from her dad, the monster wouldn't hurt them because they love this planet. And Adams is like, come with me. And she's like, if you love me, you will just leave. I'm not going anywhere without my father. And then the doctor goes, ah, my big brain. He did the kids thing on his own and he's gonna die, but he learned something so smart. Okay, here's my question. All that the doctor says is when you do the thing, the capacity of your brain to learn things is exponentially increased. But he's like, I learned everything. Yeah, it's because Dr. Morbius is wrong, Megan. Yeah. So he finds out that the Krell did complete their project. Monsters from the id. And he dies. And Morbius comes in and literally is like, what a stupid idiot. What a dumb, dumb, dead man. Bury him with all the other greedy assholes on this planet. And as soon as he says that, Alta's like, okay, I'm going to go with that guy. I'm going to go with the commander. Uh, Bye, Dad. Yeah, uh, she's like, mm, at the beginning of the film, you said it was up to me when I want to leave this planet. And uh, you just made that choice for me. <laughs> so what is the id? Oh, it's some old, old term no one uses anymore to describe the subconscious. And I thought that was funny because their Christian God still exists. But the id is obsolete. Morbius is like, okay, that makes sense. They tried to release their minds from their bodies, and by doing so, they accidentally released the beast that hides within all of us. Because everyone is a monster on the inside. Everyone loves destruction and death. But the one problem is, there are no more Krell, so how does this monster exist? JJ's just like, you big dummy, it you. And I would like to connect this to Caliban, because it is Caliban. Prospero taught Caliban how to talk, and thus Caliban learned how to curse. That's true. This monster is the product of Morbius's unconscious desires given form. It is his son. And it's just like his hubris for his brain being so big, which, yeah, like Prospero being like, well, I'll teach the savage. And thus makes his greatest enemy. Yeah. And it's coming at the doors. Uh Uh-oh. Robbie, stop it. Robbie, stop it. Robbie's like, I can't. It's Morbius. And he's like, Alta, tell it you don't love the commander because that's obviously what I'm pissed about. And she's like, not even if I could. I love him, daddy. 
oh no, better go inside the lab more. Well, Morbius is still like, it's not me. And the commander's like, I will literally wrestle you. Yeah. Brawn versus brain, bud. And smart man just refuses to learn. And then he finally realizes they run into the lab and it hits him as the commander's convincing him because the stupid man is the smart man that the reason that the old crew was murdered was because they were murdered by him because he didn't want to leave the island and they voted to leave. So he killed them all so he could stay. And he hates mankind. And then he's like, oh no, my evil self is at the door and I have no power to stop it, which is the most old time science fiction thing I've ever heard. And I actually like that line. (laughs) Yeah, oh yeah, no. Megan, if this film were cheesier, it would be better. If this whole film were like that line, I'd be in heaven right now. Yeah, because one of my notes is apparently the monster's going to get stronger. Who cares? I don't care. They like talk about like, oh, no, it's getting stronger because it's going to access the power from the Krell and go big. Somehow. And then Morbius goes, you're right. It was me. And then he falls to the ground dying. And he's like, press that big button that's really cool. And Marquez is obsessed with it because it's a big button. And Marquez likes big buttons and things. You must be at least 100 million miles out into space within 24 hours. (laughs) And he dies. I love that it's not like a 30 second. You gotta get out of here. It's get out in 24 hours. Yeah, he has to make sure they can. Yeah, but I mean, like, there's no... Yeah, a 24-hour self-destruct button is not that useful, typically, uh, unless also... you make a giant id monster. I mean, it also is just narratively inert. Yes. Because <laughs> I'm like, oh, cool. So, like, when he dies, they're just like, okay, well, we can calmly leave this place. Uh... Here's my question, though. How do they get past the monster? The monster dies when he dies. Why does he blow up the planet, then? To destroy all the Krell shit so it doesn't happen again? Yes. I just answered my own question with that obvious reason. Yeah. I didn't notice that the monster died, died. I just thought it was weakened when he died. But that makes sense because obviously his brain is dead. So they go back to the ship. We are 100,000 miles out in space. The most important thing, though, Megan. I know. Robbie is still alive. And he's their navigator now. Oh, hell yeah, Megan. And Commander JJ and Alta hold each other while they watch the planet Altair blow up. And he tells her, don't worry, your dad will be deified because in 10,000 years we'll be just like the Krell. And I'm like, you don't want to be like the Krell. Yeah, yeah. One, he says it's millions of years. And then he says, we'll be as smart as the Krell and your father's name will shine again like a beacon in the galaxy. No one's going to remember him. How? Are you guys going to write a book and just say he was smart? Because that's not going to go anywhere. Human civilization hasn't been around for 10 million years. How do you know that? I don't know anyone from early civilization. And that was not 10 million years ago. <laughs> so anyway, Megan, that's the film. No. One more important thing. What? They watch it explode and go, well, we aren't God, the Christian God, who is as important to us in 2200 as in the 1950s. You gotta let it go, Megan. The end. God, the Holy Spirit, baby Jesus, Father. You gotta let it go, Megan. It stuck out to be like a sore thumb too. But you just gotta understand what we're dealing with. But anyway, that was Forbidden Planet. Wait, 
one more thing, Megan. Yeah. I have one more thing to mention. Robbie. Yes, it has to do with Robbie. It has to do with Robbie. Of course it does. But. You wouldn't make this episode longer for something that's not Robbie. This is Robbie defamation. (gasps) The cover of the poster and the DVD shows Robbie cradling Alta in his arms as though he is some savior or monster. And if it's that he's a monster... Hey, what if it's that he's her savior? He made her a beautiful dress that saved her into love. He does not carry her at all. It is merely for marketing. And I think that that's not fair to Robbie. I think that's clickbait. Another thing I need to mention about Robbie that we didn't mention in our covering of the film, but I want to mention, Robbie is very femme-coded. Yeah, he cooks, he cleans, he makes clothing. And it's not just that he does these things, it's that people mention that he does these things. It is the fact that Morbius made Robbie after his wife died. They to be Alta's new mommy. Yes. So I think Robbie is an interesting character in that he just has gender signifiers thrown on him, which isn't done much in robot fiction. Yeah. Like, I think robots being trans is an iffy subject because... It's just kind of like an easy out to have your trans character be a robot in things. Like, oh, that character's non-binary because they're a robot. And it's like, well, that's kind of insulting. But uh, also at the same time, Robbie rules. They don't have genitalia. That means they can be trans. Yeah, that's basically what it comes down to. Anyway, I just needed to mention that about Robbie. And uh, I like Robbie. Robbie's great. Robbie, 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 Robbie. So that's the film, Forbidden Planet. Yeah, what do we do now, Megan, in the podcast? Uh, well, first, we talk about it. Oh, yeah, um, it's bad. Yeah, I don't think it's, um, good. It's boring, which makes it bad. I wish it was schlocky. If it was worse, it'd be better. I wish it was over the top. Uh, I wish they didn't just say, look at my stuff for like 15 minutes. I think that the connections that you can make to The Tempest are interesting. And I wish that those parts of it were more. I agree. I feel like you need to know The Tempest really well to be able to see the deeper connections to it. And I still believe that they completely lied when they said, it just so happened to be similar. It's just an island in the middle of nowhere that... A magic man and his daughter are the only inhabitants of, and they are around while another troop gets attacked and oh oh they have something to do with it and she falls in love with one of them like come on mvp robbie 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 it's gotta be robbie if it's anyone else that's not robbie i'd say alta yeah and then i'd say i hate all the men, men. <laughs> robbie's great robbie's Ro- great robbie's an innocent soul and he should go to god heaven christian god heaven he should go to christian god heaven <laughs> and well, alta- which we know we're all going to Like Robbie. But yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious listening to it that we were going to choose Robbie and then maybe Alta. Well, man, it was a maybe of you choosing Robbie. It was a definite of me choosing Robbie. Here's what I think Shakespeare would say if he watched this film. I think he would say, let us not burden our remembrance with a heaviness that's gone. You know what? That's fair, Shakespeare. Let's not do that. That's how I feel about this film. Like, well, I did that. Don't need to do that again. Megan, what would you rate Forbidden Planet? I would rate Forbidden Planet. 
one agender robot god out of every cis man on that island. What would you rate Forbidden Planet? I would rate it one regular IQ'd commander out of Paul Morbius's big, fat, juicy brain. (laughs) I would also accept out of all of the non-existent things that Morbius said crumbled to the ground and then spends 15 minutes showing to us. Look, my stuff. Nothing survived except for 15 minutes worth of things. Look at these caverns, aren't they big? You see this triangle in the wall. I like to think of it as a door. Why was that necessary? It is a door. It's a doorway. Wow, what a big brain you got, Morbius. Any hole that you can go through that takes you from (laughs) one place to another is a door. I think these holes between the rooms that we can walk through easily might be akin to doors. All right, that's going to do it for us here on Avant Bard. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to our social media at Pod. And if you really liked what you heard, you can give us money at patreon.com slash avantbardpod. Bloopers for this episode will be up next week. But until then, we will see you in about 10 million years when our intelligence matches that of the Krell. Or maybe, you know, Anon. Avant Bard is created by Matthew James Marquez and Megan Charlotte. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash avantbardpod. We would like to thank Riley Allen for the creation of our theme music, Cloverkin for our logo artwork, and everyone in the audience for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Avant Bard, you can visit us on all social media platforms at avantbardpod.